They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, December the 30th, 2022. And this happens to be the Feast of the Holy Family this year. In the Catholic Church, the Feast of the Holy Family is usually celebrated on the Sunday that falls between Christmas and New Year's. But Christmas is on a Sunday. It was on a Sunday this year, Christmas Day. And New Year's is on a Sunday. So there's no Sunday in between. So the Friday of Christmas week becomes the Feast of the Holy Family. So we'll talk about that. We want to talk about searching for the baby Jesus. Who was searching for the baby Jesus? What were the motives for searching for the baby Jesus? And what about us? How does that apply to us? But let's start with the Angelus, the prayer that commemorates the incarnation where we, where we are in encouraged by the church to pray this prayer three times a day at morn, at noon, and at twilight. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen, the angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Most Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ, our Lord, amen. We ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, plenis uncele et terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. So who was looking for the baby Jesus? And are we looking for the baby Jesus? Are we searching for him? Are we longing for his coming? Do we desire to have and foster within ourselves and in our lives that intimate personal relationship with the Lord our God, that he becomes to us truly a lover, and we love him with our whole heart, mind, soul, all our will and all our strength. So who was searching for the baby Jesus? Well, in Luke 2, 16, we read, The shepherds went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in a manger. They were searching for the baby Jesus. And how did they know about him? Well, the angels had told them. Remember, they were keeping night watch over their flocks in the fields. And yes, there were shepherds who kept night watch over their flocks in the fields, it turns out, in the wintertime. The shepherds who um, took care of the lambs that would be used for sacrifice in Jerusalem temple kept their, their flocks on the hills throughout the year, including the wintertime. So the angel appeared to them and told them about the newborn 
king of the Jews. And there was someone else. There were the three kings, the visit of the wise men in, in Matthew 2, where these three magi from the east arrive and they're searching for the king of the Jews. And they go to Herod and, and Herod's like, he's troubled. And he says, oh, um, he calls all the scribes and the priests together and says, what, where's the Messiah to be born? Herod's asking the question, the Messiah. And so, you know, they find out Bethlehem. And so he tells the wise men, well, you go to Bethlehem and you find out all about this newborn king of the Jews and that you bring me detailed information so that I can come and worship him. So we have the Magi who are searching and they've left their land. They've come to a foreign land and they're searching for the king of the Jews. And they do find him. They find him in the house. We find uh, later on in that chapter, they enter the house. The star that they had seen at its rising appears again after they leave Jerusalem, as they're leaving Jerusalem, and they follow that star, and it takes them to the house where Jesus is. Now, who's the other person searching for the baby at the time? Herod. Interesting. Why are the shepherds looking for the baby? Because they're looking for the Messiah, and they want to worship him. The angels came and said, I bring you tidings of great joy, for in David's city is born for you a Messiah, who is Christ the Lord. So they're coming to worship Christ the Lord. The Magi are coming to worship him. They bring him gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gifts that are befitting of the kings, but also befitting the Magi were astrologers. And these were the, the, the tools that they used in their work. And so they're bringing these to give them to the Lord to say, we give up our paganism to acknowledge you as God. They worship him as God. We give him the best, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. And of course, the gold represents his kingship. The frankincense represents his Godhead, and the myrrh represents the fact that he will suffer. Now we have Herod, by contrast. And who is Herod? Well, we all know about Herod the Great. And why was he called great? Because he was a great man, because he was a man of virtue? No, actually, he was a rather um, immoral man. But his greatest um, driving force within Herod, apparently, was his desire for power. You know, Cleopatra came to um, Jerusalem to try and seduce Herod. And, and Herod was not a moral man. He killed his wife. He killed one of his wives, his favorite wife, because he thought she was going to plot against him to take his kingship. And Herod um, didn't give in to Cleopatra's advances because Cleopatra was loved by Mark Anthony. And at first, Herod had kind of thrown in his lot with Mark Anthony and Cleopatra because he thought Mark Anthony would overtake Octavius. And then when it became apparent that Octavius was going to become the Roman emperor, then, then Herod sided with Octavius. And this is how he got his position as king of the Jews. He wasn't a Jew. <laughs> he wasn't a Jew at all. And there's a whole history there, by the way, which is very fascinating. It's called, you know, in, in Scott Hahn's book, um, Joy to the World, it's chapter four, about the false kingdom. So if you want to get that book and um, read that and, and begin to understand um, kind of who Herod was and what kind of a man he was, he was brutal. And anyone that he suspected was trying to take the kingdom away from him, he killed him. He killed not only his favorite wife, he killed three of his own sons because he was afraid that at some point they would plot against him to take his kingship. Well, I mean, Herod, someday you're going to die. Who are you going to leave your kingdom to? You know, if you keep killing your sons, what's, what's, who's going to be left? Anyway, just... But, but is he searching for the king of the Jews because he wants to worship the child so that I too may come and pay him reverence? What was Herod's motivation? What was he up to? Well, we know, don't we? Because what happens, and we have it, by the way, this feast day of the Holy Family 
For 2022, the reading for the gospel is from the gospel of Matthew. So what happens after the Magi depart? That's what we have in today's gospel. When the Magi had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, Herod is going to search for the child to worship him? No, to destroy him. Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. He stayed until the death of Herod that what the Lord had said through the prophet might be fulfilled, out of Egypt I have called my son. That's Hosea 11. Now, in today's gospel, it doesn't mention this, but what happens is Herod realizes after a while when the Magi don't come back to him, wait a minute, something's gone awry. These guys have figured something out and they've they've deceived me. They're not going to come back. So what did he do? What did Herod do? And we celebrated that feast um, two days ago. Today's the 30th. On the 28th of December, we celebrated the Feast of the Holy Innocents. And what is that? Herod ordered the death of all the baby boys in Bethlehem and its environs who were two years of age and under, basing that date on what he had learned from the astrologers. They had told him they had seen the star of the newborn king of the Jews arise in the east and they had come to worship him. And so Herod discerned, he he got them to tell him exactly what they knew, what was the date of the arising of the star. And based on that, he had all the baby boys who were two years old and under in Bethlehem's environs slaughtered. Interesting. He hadn't come, he hadn't searched for the child to worship him. He was searching for the child to destroy him. And what's interesting, because what did he ask the Magi? Not the Magi, excuse me. What did he ask the scribes, the Jewish scribes and the scholars of the law? Where is the Messiah to be born? Herod's ambition for power was so great that he would even try to destroy God's Messiah, thinking that the Messiah is just another man and I can take his place. You see how sin deceives us? When we sin, we become incapable of seeing the truth. We become incapable of loving the beautiful and the good and the true. We want to destroy what is good and true and beautiful so that we can further our own sinful plans. This can happen to any one of us. You know, oftentimes we say, oh, I could never do that crime. I could never do that crime. And read the book, The Doctor of the Heart. It's the autobiography of Dr. Conrad Bars who spent the last 18 months of World War II in Buchenwald prison camp. And he said, you know, you never know how wicked you can become until you are living moment by moment, day by day, with the threat of death over your head all the time. And you are being almost starved to death. And you begin to realize just how conniving and wicked and hateful you can become toward anyone around you to preserve your own life. Air, but for the grace of God, go I. So we want to look more at looking for the baby Jesus. But what should be the proper motivation? And where should we be looking? Don't go away. We'll be back with more on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for tuning in. And tell your friends and family and everyone to join us. We'll be right back. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this December 30th, 2022. Terry's babysitting again, our grandson. And I want to thank all of our listeners, um, all the radio stations that pick us up. I want to thank all of our donors, all of those who pray for us and offer their sufferings and sacrifices for us. We couldn't do this work without you. And I thank you all for your patience with um, our humanity and our frailty and our mistakes. Thank you and God bless you. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to us. I want to read you something that Pope Benedict XVI said in the 12th Ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops, October 6, 2008, about this uh, event, the incarnation of God. The history of salvation is not a small event on a poor planet in the immensity of the universe. Some small event on some insignificant planet in the immensity of the universe. No, that's not what the incarnation is. It's not that. It is not a minimal thing which happens by chance on a lost planet. It is the motive for everything. The motive for creation. Everything is created so that this story, the story of the incarnation, can exist. The encounter between God and his creature. You see, God made the universe so that his son could become man and live among us. God made us so that the Son of God could become one of us and raise us to a personal relationship with himself, to draw us into communion with himself. How does this, what does this have to do with looking for baby Jesus? Well, do we understand the meaning of baby Jesus being baby Jesus? Do we just look at that baby in the crib and get syrupy and sentimental and oh, how sweet. And yeah, nobody would be afraid of a baby, right? We hope. Although it seems in our world, people are terrified of a child. But we're drawn to a child. Normal people who are normal <laughs> love children. It's normal and natural to love children. That's the future. <laughs> when we have children, that's our future. That's the future of, of mankind. And we are drawn to the little children. It's normal and natural to be drawn to them. And so Christ, the son of God, when he becomes man, he doesn't come as a great king who's imposing and, and threatening. And he comes as a little baby to draw us to himself so that we can feel his presence, not just see it and know it, but to feel it in our emotions, to have our whole being moved toward a desire for union with him, a desire to love him and to respond to this great love. God became man. Remember, though he was God, he did not deem equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather he emptied himself and took the form of a slave. Being born in the likeness of men, he was known to be human. And it was thus that he humbled himself, obediently accepting even death, death on a cross. 
And because of this, God bestowed on him the name above every name, so that at Jesus' name, every knee must bend in the heavens, on the earth, and under the earth, and every tongue proclaim to the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. So are we searching for the little baby who is Lord to be like the shepherds and the wise men who worship him? Or are we searching to destroy him, to say we don't need him, to say I'm sufficient unto myself, I don't need anybody, and I'm not going to bow down to the Lord. And that's a very sad reality because there are people like that. We can pray for the grace to be delivered from that attitude. You know, somebody said, well, how can I relate to Jesus? Or Jesus doesn't relate to me. Well, why don't you ask him? Lord, open my heart to accept your love. Give me the gift of faith so that I can believe in you. We can all be Herods at times. Sometimes we're Herods toward the people in our family. Sometimes we're Herods toward the little children in our world. We live in a world that wants to destroy the child. It's sad. That's not, by the way, normal for human beings. It's not normal for any species to want to destroy its offspring. That comes from the enemy. It comes from the pit of hell, literally. Satan wants to destroy the child because the child is a living image of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who became a child. And he always wants to destroy it. The enemy always wants to destroy that image. And by the way, that's why he wants to destroy the family because the family is a living image of the life of the Trinity. So St. Benedict tells us that everything that is, everything that was created, was created so that this story could exist. This story of the incarnation, this story of the encounter between God and his creature, that God really became man and dwelt among us. He really did. And, and Herod's story is the tragic story of what happens when we give ourselves over to sin. Yeah, Herod wanted to, be, to, to, to create great buildings. He knew he wasn't a Jew, and he knew the Jews didn't accept him as their, their king. So he wanted to be like, he tried to pretend to be like Solomon who built the temple. I'm going to build a great temple, greater than the temple of Solomon. Remember, it took 40 years to build that temple. Remember when Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And they said, it took 40 years to build this temple. Herod the Great built that temple. He was dead then when that was, when Jesus was adult, when Jesus was walking and, and preaching, it was his son that was on the throne. But he wanted to make a name for himself. He wanted to rule forever. He was going to be the Messiah. Well, you know, we can't, we can't do that. We can't, we're not God. And we can't um, take God's place, by the way, in anyone's life, in our lives. We can't set ourselves up as God. We're not going to save anyone. God is the Savior. We need to pray and surrender ourselves to the Lord. Jesus humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Look over my shoulder. Obedient unto death, even to death on a cross. And God highly exalted him, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bend in the heavens, on the earth, and under the earth, and every tongue proclaim to the glory of God the Father. <laughs> 
Jesus Christ is Lord. So we should look for Jesus, but with the heart of the shepherd, with the heart of the magi. The shepherds were considered the lowest of the low. They lived in the hills. They lived out in the country. You know, nobody's nothing. And yet, and yet the people depended on them to get their lambs for sacrifice in the temple. Isn't that funny, you know? People that we depend on for common things, and we look down on them. A lot of people look down on teachers. And there's a lot of problems with education, but there are a lot of good teachers out there who just want to help children to learn to know the truth. And yet, oh, to be a teacher, what a loser you are. I've heard that said, especially by young people who go to school. You know, that's a loser's vocation. Well, I have to disagree with you. It's not. It's a noble vocation. By the way, it's the, no, it's the vocation of every mother and father in this world. Every man and woman who bring a child into this world, you are the first educator of your child in every aspect of life, family life. We want to talk about that. What is family and family life? Where are we to find Jesus? Are we going to be like the shepherds who are humble? Are we going to be like the magi who are willing to give up their idolatry, their worship of strange gods to worship the one true God, to come back to their land and witness to the fact that God has become man, that we saw God in flesh, the Son of God became man. Maybe they didn't fully understand. But they encountered Christ. And they changed their lives. They gave up their worship of the stars. They came to worship the baby. Divinity. They give him gifts that are befitting of a king, of a God. And of a man who will suffer. Did they know all that? Or was that the Holy Spirit working in and through them to teach us that we too have to acknowledge the Lord Jesus as our King, that Jesus Christ is Lord. We have to acknowledge him as our God. He is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's our God. We worship him. But that he also is a man of suffering. And if we're going to follow him, he didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence that we can offer all of our sufferings in union with Jesus. And when we do this, our suffering becomes redemptive. All of our suffering has meaning. Even the chaos and confusion and all the circumstances that are out of control. I know someone who's traveling right now. A young woman, a friend of ours, went to Ireland. And she gets to Ireland finally after a horrendous you know, her flight was backed, it was delayed, and then she gets there and she, she had to, she flew through London, so then she had to go through their immigration services and her, her passport wouldn't scan and oh my gosh, they treated her like a criminal and finally they let her through immigration and said, okay, you can go on to Ireland and, and she gets to Ireland and she can't find her luggage, her checked luggage. She had her carry-on bag and a, a change of clothes, fortunately, in her carry-on bag. And fortunately, she had packed her winter coat in that bag, in her carry-on bag. <laughs> she had put it in one of those bags to just squeeze all the air out of. You know, she bought this great coat that would keep her warm. And thanks be to God, she put it in her carry-on bag because her checked luggage got, got lost. I'm telling you, she's in Ireland now, and she's there, and they still haven't found her baggage. <laughs> she's been there for several days. And I'm like, well, you know, in the province, she's like, you know, I, I get to Ireland, everything's out of control. 
all of the circumstances are out of control. My flight is late into Ireland. The, the, the ride that was supposed to pick me up for the hotel fortunately waited for me, but he had to wait an hour and a half. It was an hour and a half after my supposed arrival time that I finally was able to get out of the airport. I was looking for my luggage all that time, and finally I just filed a complaint, you know, filed a form and, and, and uh, said, I've got to go. I, I have a ride waiting. So that the, the man took her, he had waited, he had waited and he took her to the hotel. Fortunately, that went well. And, 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 uh, I mean, just one thing after another, and it's like chaos and confusion and oh my gosh. And, oh, and you know what? In all of that, we can say, Lord, you are the Lord of my life. And I can offer all of this discomfort, all of these things up. You have a purpose for it all. I hope, please God, they find her bags. We've been praying all week. They'd find her bags. I, I, please God, they'll find them. It's one bag. She only took one check bag. So please, Lord, help them find her bag. (laughs) Everybody out there, please pray to the angels, to St. Anthony, to St. Patrick, to all the Irish saints, you know, help them find her bag and and, uh, get the bag delivered to her if that's possible. But all that chaos and confusion, God can bring a greater good out of it. We can get angry about it and upset. We can say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to enjoy what I have and travel around and do what I can do. And I'll keep washing clothes in the hotel room. (laughs) Don't go away. We'll be back with more on Bible with the Barbers, on looking for Jesus, and where do we find him? Thank you for joining us. Please tell your friends and family about this Bible. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. By the way, Merry Christmas. It's still Christmas. We're still celebrating Christmas. We don't celebrate Christmas as long as we celebrate Easter. We don't prepare for Christmas as long as we prepare for Easter either. But we are celebrating Christmas. It's still Christmas. With As a matter of fact, within this octave, this is still considered Christmas Day. So we have today and tomorrow, and then we have Sunday is going to be New Year's Day. The, um, the eighth day, the octave of Christmas is the nativity, the, the feast of the circumcision, the feast of um, Mary, the mother of God. So we have this. We have where are we looking for Jesus? Why are we looking for Jesus? And we need to ask ourselves these questions seriously, really seriously, search very deep. And are we willing to give up our sins? Are we willing to give up um, sin, deliberate sin chosen with our will? That's what sin is. When we choose wrongdoing with our will. That's sin. All wrongdoing is sin, but not all sin is deadly. But when we choose sin, sin with our will, that's it's wrong. Any, any wrongdoing is sin. So we want to um, give up sin to make a place for Christ in our life. All right. Now, today's feast is the Feast of the Holy Family. So I want to read some incredibly beautiful meditations on the Feast of the Holy Family and what it means to us. Okay. We have the Holy Family of Nazareth, right? Jesus grew up in a family. Mary and Joseph were his parents here on earth. Mary was definitely his mother, his biological mother. Joseph was his foster father appointed by God himself to take care of Jesus and Mary and watch over them and protect him. So the hidden life at Nazareth allows everyone to enter into fellowship with Jesus by the most ordinary events of daily life. Jesus lived a human life. And I'm going to read a quote here, which is, Quoted in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 533, and it's from Pope Paul VI. It was an address that he gave at Nazareth on January 5th, 1964. And I want to read this to you. The home of Nazareth is the school where we begin to understand the life of Jesus. The school of the gospel, 
first then is the lesson of silence. Before he begins his public life, Jesus lives 30 years of silence. No, he wasn't working miracles. He was preparing for his public life. May esteem for silence, that admirable and indispensable condition of mind, revive in us a lesson on family life. So oftentimes in the family, in order to keep the peace, we have to be silent. When we're angry, we can't speak. We need to be silent and figure out what we're angry about. If it's just, we need to, to um, renounce the injustice, but not consent to the sin of anger. Feel the emotion of anger if there's an injustice that's been done. And then work through the physicality of anger because anger produces adrenaline because we're either supposed to fight or fly. And then we have to work out the problem. Okay, work out the problem. But silence, we need silence in our families. Shouldn't have the radio and the TVs going all the time. We shouldn't be on our phones and our computers all the time either. Cut out the background noise. It drowns God out. May Nazareth teach us what family life is. It's communion of love. It's austere and simple beauty and its sacred and inviolable character. Austere and simple beauty. As Christians, Pope St. John Paul II wrote in Familiaris Consortio, his letter to the families, Christian parents, raise your children austerely, not in extravagance. We don't need material things. An abundance of material things crowds the Lord out of our heart because we begin to, begin, begin to be attached to the material things. We need to have a simple life, a sufficiency, but simple. We don't need a multitude of material things. It's one of the mistakes we make at Christmas time. We try to shower our children with gifts. And the gift giving is not really about the children. It becomes about the adults because every adult who buys a gift wants the, to see the child, a child open the gift they bought for them. Honey, you're not doing that for the child. In your heart of hearts, you know, it, it's about you still. The children don't need all those things. They need to know that they're loved. And all those things, by the way, might be crowding out of their heart the possibility for them to enter into a quiet communion with the Lord during this wonderful time of year. We don't understand what materialism does to our children spiritually. We need to really re-examine our lives and ask ourselves seriously. You know, I've seen little children overwhelmed by the number of gifts they get on Christmas. They're, they're almost dissipated. It's like, oh, oh. They're, they're tired of it. Let's make it a more simple reality. A lesson of work. Nazareth. Home of the carpenter's son. In you I would choose to understand and proclaim the severe and redeeming law of human work. Human work is sacred and it redeems us and it is 
it, it helps us to understand our dignity as children of God, as made in God's image, as persons to be loved. To conclude, I want to greet all the workers of the world, holding up to them the great pattern of their brother who is God. Jesus worked with his hands. He learned how to work in the carpenter shop as a general contractor with his father, Joseph, his foster father, Joseph, more than a foster father, more than we, what we understand as a foster father, because he's, Joseph is taking the place of God the Father in a very real way, and he's appointed by God. Work, work, work. Not for the sake of work, not for the sake of being a, alcohol, a workaholic and being um, lost in our work so that we don't have time for anything else, but work for the sake of the dignity of the human person. Because of original sin, work dignifies the human person. And yes, by the sweat of our brow, work is hard, but it is good. And Jesus spent 30 years working. Now, granted, as a little boy, I imagine he didn't start right away with the hammer and the lathe and all this other stuff. But he worked beside Joseph. Mary and Joseph taught him. And just like we teach our children how to clean house and something age appropriate for them. And then as he grew, you know, by the time my brother Bob was six years old, when my parents were out on the farm, my brother Bob was driving the tractor with a cultivator on the back. And my mom said he could plow a straight furrow. He was good at what he did. You know, little children can do work. Go to foreign countries where little children are required because of the hardness of life to be helping out in the fields, to be doing laundry, to be watching brothers and sisters. Really, I mean, really needed. Their help is needed in the family in our you know, Western material situation in the city especially, we don't understand how important it is for little children to know how to work and to contribute, to really contribute something to the well-being of the family. By their presence, by the way, they're contributing hugely to the well-being of your family, by their very presence. But the life of Nazareth, the church wants us to understand the life of Nazareth. This is the family. The family is supposed to be that living image of the Trinity, the life of the Trinity. And Jesus, Mary, and Joseph show us that perfect image. There's no sin in their family. No sin. Mary and Joseph are not unevenly yoked. I'm not saying that Joseph was immaculately conceived. The church has never defined that. But the church has defined that Joseph, by his marriage to Mary, which is a true marriage, shares in the prerogatives of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Pope Leo XIII, look it up, in his commentary on St. Joseph. So Joseph has a tremendous, tremendous position in the family and, and to show us in the, in the Holy Family. He's not unevenly yoked with the, the Mother of God. God has given him the graces that he needs to be the guardian of the Redeemer, the, the, the husband of Mary, the mother of God, and to be the guardian of her virginity and of her motherhood and of her son. The Christian family is a communion of persons, a sign and image of the communion of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the procreation and education of children, it reflects the Father's work in creation. It is called to partake of the prayer and the sacrifice of Christ. 
Daily work and the reading of the word of God strengthen it in charity. The Christian family has an evangelizing and missionary task. Catechism of the Catholic Church, 2205. So did you hear the church saying? Yes, the Christian family is a communion of persons, a sign and image of the communion of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the inner life of the Holy Trinity. In the procreation and education of children, it reflects the Father's work in creation. It is called to partake of the prayer and sacrifice of Christ. We're supposed to teach our children from the time they're little that they can make sacrifices too, and that when they get hurt, they can offer that in union with Jesus to help redeem the world, that our suffering is not meaningless. All human suffering can be offered in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. Do you know someone who's in a hospital right now? Tell them your sufferings can be offered up in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. Your suffering is redemptive. You can gain souls for Christ. Jesus, it is for love of you, for the conversion of sinners and reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. The angel taught the children at Fatima. We can offer our sufferings. Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. And our work, our work, we should be working to build the kingdom of God and daily prayer and reading of the word of God strengthen our family in charity. We pray together as a family. Read God's holy word together. Daily mass if you can, if the duties of your state and life allow for it. And the Christian family has an evangelizing and missionary task. The family too. We evangelize the temporal order. The temporal order. Don't go away. We'll be back with more on Bible with the Barbers. I want to thank all of our benefactors, all of the radio stations who pick us up, all our listeners, and please share with your friends and family. We have a Bible study, a Catholic Bible study on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back again. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year coming up here. And we uh, remember that it's still the Christmas season, even after New Year, until December, until January 9th, the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. So um, we're still celebrating Christmas and we're talking about looking for the baby Jesus. Where should we be looking for him? Why should we be looking for him? What should be our attitude? So a little examination of conscience here for all of us for the end of the year. Have we been looking for the Lord Jesus in the right place? Are we really looking for him or are we just looking for ourselves and want him to put a rubber stamp on all of my plans? Lord, this is my plan. I want you to agree with it, Lord. It's my plan. I want you to agree with it. You know, there's that, that old uh, saying, um, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. <laughs> like the young lady I mentioned earlier in the, in the show who went to Ireland and she said, everything is chaos and out of my control. And I'm just like, it's just, you know, it's okay. Just take a deep breath and enjoy it. Enjoy what you can enjoy. And so what about the clothes? I mean, please God, they'll all be found, but whatever, you know, your life is what the most important thing and your relationship with God. So, so here we are, and we're talking about the family because where do we find the baby Jesus? The shepherds, the Magi, they found him with Mary, his mother, and St. Joseph. They found him in the midst of the family. And today is the feast of the Holy Family in the Catholic Church. Usually, um, well, 
the Feast of the Holy Family is usually celebrated on a Sunday, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's. But this year, Christmas and New Year's both fall on Sunday. So the feast is moved to the Friday of the week of Christmas week. So we're celebrating the Feast of the Holy Family. So we're looking at the Holy Family and what the Holy Family means for us and how we are supposed to live out our family life in imitation of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And yes, this is where we find Jesus. By the way, in the midst of our families, even if they're broken and confused and uh, dysfunctional, God is in the presence of this. God is in the midst of this. God is present to us in the midst of this. He will be present to us and he will help us work through the traumas and the trials. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2204, the church teaches us this, the Christian family constitutes a specific revelation and realization of ecclesial communion. Ecclesial communion, communion within the church. And for this reason, it can and should be called the domestic church. It is a community of faith, hope, and charity. It assures, it assumes, excuse me, it assumes, assumes singular importance in the church as is evident in the New Testament. The family, yes, the family was the central, it's the center to the revelation of God, of his own inner Trinitarian life and what he wants us to be in the world and what, the, what he wants the church to be. We're supposed to be a, a family in the church. We have to strive at it. We have to give up our pride. We have to give up our anger and our resentment and our bitterness. We have to humble ourselves. We have to be like the Lord Jesus. And we need to be forgiving. Forgive, forgive, forgive. I choose to forgive. If someone hurts you, if someone hurts a family member, if someone hurts people close to you, yes, Lord, I acknowledge the injustice. And I acknowledge the anger, the emotion of anger I feel, which you have given me that emotion, Lord, to correct injustice. So I want to feel that anger and acknowledge that there's a right to that anger. But Lord, at the same time, I'm not the arbiter of justice. I want to work through the emotion of anger and I want to choose a way to respond to this injustice that's according to your holy will. Is it my place to correct the injustice? What's the proper means? What's the proper measure? By the way, this is very important for us as parents when we're disciplining our children. Because oftentimes we don't discipline the kids until we get mad. We wait until we're angry at them. We tell them to do something, they don't do it. We ignore it for a while. And then we tell them again. And then we tell, and then the fourth time we tell them, by that time we're angry. And now we're ready to discipline them. No, that's not discipline. I'm not a perfect parent. And I made that mistake many times. And I yelled at my kids a lot. I'm sorry, Lord. And I am sorry. Because oftentimes I didn't discipline them immediately when I was calm. Look, honey, I told you to do this. We're going to drop everything. What I said was important. And it's important for you to listen and know that when I say something, I mean it. And I'm going to back it up with discipline. So now you didn't listen to me. There's the timeout chair. You get a timeout. And after the timeout, we're going to come back to this and you're going to do what I told you to do. And if I have to go to that timeout chair 10 times, okay. But calmly in kindness and patience. Let's not be demeaning toward our children. Let's not put them down. Let's not try to, you know, you're under my thumb. I'm the adult. I can crush you. Do you know that I have the power to crush you? I could hurt you. That's not what God does to us. 
And we're supposed to be an image of Christ, of the, of the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. First of all, of the most blessed Trinity, which Jesus and Mary and Joseph show us that perfect image. So we find Christ in the family. But let's not drive him out of the family, especially not the little child. And let's be aware that we're not demanding of our two-year-olds and three-year-olds an emotional maturity that is beyond our own emotional maturity. Maybe as adults, we're not emotionally mature. So when, when the child becomes acting like a two-year-old, we recognize our own two-year-oldness in that child. So we discipline the child as a compensation for not correcting the fault in ourselves. Then we need to correct the fault in ourselves if we're not emotionally mature. We need to admit it, first of all. And that, by the way, if every time we get corrected, if everyone, every time someone points out to us, you know, you did this and it was wrong, and we get angry, we're not emotionally mature. We respond in an emotional way. We should be giving fraternal correction to each other. And as adults, we should be able to accept fraternal correction. So let's not demand of our two-year-olds an emotional maturity that's beyond us. You're going to behave like a little adult, you little two-year-old, because I'm not an adult. So I'm going to make sure that you behave like adult so I can live vicariously through you. It doesn't work, honey, and it hurts them. You're demanding of them a maturity that's beyond their age, and you're not allowing them to be two-year-olds. I'm not saying that they should run around being disobedient all day long. But don't be demeaning towards your children. Don't talk down to them. Remember, they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're baptized. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. Our children aren't ours. They're God's. We're supposed to discipline them and raise them in the faith and raise them in the knowledge that they're loved and they're good and they're beautiful. And forgiveness is so important. Forgiveness is so important within the family. You know, our children are little. They're going to make mistakes, just like we make mistakes every single day. We need to be patient with them. We need to be kind to them. And we need to show them the respect that they deserve as children of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, temples of the Holy Spirit and heirs to the kingdom of heaven. They are God's children, and we need to treat them that way. And we, in the family, forgiveness. I started by talking about forgiveness. We need to be willing to forgive when someone else hurts us. And even if someone in our family is hurting, in many dysfunctional families, you have extended family members and you have parents hurting their children. We need to forgive them. We're not going to correct them by being angry, okay? That's not going to correct them. That's only going to destroy us. Let go of the anger. Ask the Lord to show us, to open our eyes, to see him in that person who is hurting other people. And ask him to touch their hearts so that they're not continuing to hurt other people. We need to find Jesus in each other in the family. We need to serve Jesus in each other in the family. And when we can do this within our own families, then we can take Jesus to others. And we're not necessarily going to do it perfectly. And um, hurts don't go away right away. And emotions are emotions and they take time to heal. So when we see somebody do something that's really, you know, especially when somebody hurts a child, when they've made choices that are very damaging to little children, so that their little children are suffering a lot. Um, It's hard. But we need to learn to forgive. And we need to learn to 
ask the Lord to come into the midst of that situation. There are children saints, and we can pray to them for grace. St. Jacinta, St. Francisco, St. Tarsisus, many of the martyrs, the early Roman martyrs, would be considered children today, you know, 12 and 13, 14-year-olds who were having to make adult decisions because they were adult spiritually, and they died as martyrs. They're the holy innocents who are considered martyrs of the Catholic Church. They're children saints. And, and we also have little children saints that, you know, um, haven't even been canonized yet. We've read stories, beautiful stories, about little children who are suffering from cancer. And they're cheerful and joyful because they've been taught to know the Lord Jesus, and they've been taught that Jesus is with them, and their suffering isn't meaningless, and they do understand. And there are little children who are suffering heroically. So we need to teach our little children this. And then we need to remember that, you know, the family, the family is the center. The family was created by God. It is the basic unit of society. It's the basic unit of the church. If the family falls apart, society and the church fall apart. And remember, only the enemy of God, who is also our mortal enemy, the devil, who wants us in hell for all eternity, he wants us to reject the family. He wants us to hate each other. He wants us to hold on to the anger and the resentment and the bitterness and the self-pity which, by the way, a lot of the resentment and bitterness comes from self-pity. We need to give up the pity party. We need to just stop it. Give up the pity party. Turn to the Lord Jesus. Embrace the cross. Get a crucifix, a vivid crucifix, and have it before our eyes all the time. And beg the Lord to enter into the midst of our families. And even if someone's forgiven, if it hurt us, ask for the grace to forgive. And, you know, in some, some situations where people have gotten married in what looks to be a marriage, um, you know, was there a true marriage there? That's a question the church has to examine. But be willing to forgive, even if you have to walk away from a relationship. Ask the Lord for the grace to forgive all the hurts. Because harboring hatred in our hearts, harboring resentment and bitterness, only crowds Jesus out. So we want to look for the Lord Jesus, the baby Jesus, especially in the children, especially in the midst of our family. We look for him also in the church, in his sacraments, especially in the Holy Eucharist, in the sacrament of confession. Go to Jesus. If you're harboring bitterness and resentment, beg him in the sacrament of confession to help you forgive the injuries that cause the hurt so that we can live as true children of God, children of our Father, imitating our brother Jesus Christ, bringing the love of God to the world, bringing Christ to the world, healing our families, allowing God to come in and heal our families. May the peace of the baby Jesus flood your families, fill your hearts with love. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.